Life finds a way. <laughs> this is illiterate. My name is Evan. I have seen Jurassic Park as much as I've probably seen any movie ever. Um, I've also I've also read the book. That's something there very new for this week. Taylor, welcome. Taylor. Yeah, my name is Taylor. And this week I found a rare pre-internet TED Talk with Michael Crichton. So we're going to get into all of it. We're going to take you through the whole deal. We're going to define what are these movies, who created them, what the ideas were. Uh, and we're going to bring you all the way up to today and then maybe give you a framework to walk into this new movie. I haven't seen this new movie, but, you know, there's been a few of them. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. As well as what the future holds, what currently is happening, whether people are even heeding the advice of creating prehistoric life again is it happening Lord. in 2027 yeah we'll, like uh, did they take the advice i oh god i can't get too dark too fast <laughs> we will find it all out just to hype up we won't get all into michael crichton's life because we did so in a long ago episode about westworld mm-hmm. that'll be linked in the show notes to that as well as we covered steven spielberg so there's a little bit on the making of and his connection to it. We intentionally kind of stayed away from the Jurassic areas. We touch against them a little bit, but we yep. intentionally kind of stayed away to because we knew one day we'd be doing this episode. Here we are, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with the old book, the original book creation, because it's heavily interwoven with the filmmaking this is uh, on its face, like one of the most odd examples of a book getting option because the book, as, a, as far as I understand it, wasn't even completed. Right. And it's, this is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the book was published in 1990. The film didn't come out until 93. But like you said, even before 1990, they already had it locked in that they were going to do this thing. The book had a 10 year process, though, of being made. So started in 1980 was the ruminations of, of wow, Michael yeah. Crichton, which he chunked it out as three years of writing and the rest accumulating. And of course, he was doing other things Look in that, that. Oh in that timeline, but that's how much he okay. puts into I'm it. Yeah. Stop real quick. Everybody's read something. Everybody's watched something, experienced a piece of art that they think is so immaculate. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how did a person do that? Like how I could not... Stop your experiencing all at once for the first time, fully formed and finished. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody spent a decade accumulating and writing it. There's so much process that comes in. This book in particular, when you crack it open, I distinctly remember reading it going like, my God, how do you write something? <laughs> this, is, this is and not that it's like you it's not that it's overly uh wordy or anything but you could read it in middle school i've had friends that definitely mm -hmm. did it but it's so it's so meticulous yeah. and it's so immaculate that it is really, really intimidating off of the page in terms of if you ever aspired to do something similar of the same quality, <laughs> uh, just step back and remember how much process goes into these things. This, I, I try to pull this out of as yeah. much as we can when we do these things. And, and influences as well. So let's tease out all the different yes. things that he grabbed. The first big one I saw was 1982, and I found an online link to this piece that he read. It was boring to me because it's like a science journal article, but it's about this scientist who found a fly encased in resin, fully preserved uh, from the prehistoric era. And so yes. that was in 82 when he read that article and said, aha, here's a thought connected to some other there science stuff I'm reading. The original idea was a screenplay, which he wrote in 1983. 
Mm. And this was about a grad student who figured out how to clone a pterodactyl from fossil DNA, that kind of mosquito in resin situation. So it originally really? wasn't a book. It was a screenplay because at this time he's been doing well in the Hollywood is this available? Is no, this no, no, version? no, 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 no. <laughs> it's one of the laws. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that um, would be amazing. I'm yeah. just thinking about it anyway. Yeah, I looked for it. But it, it, the notion that it, he did have this thing is is true. And so the big story problem, though, was that the in, within the story itself, the premise being like, what would be the reason for cloning this pterodactyl? Well, the only real thing would be entertainment. And we've already seen with the Westworld stuff, he has the park goes amok. <laughs> it's interesting. He's fascinated by the child's perspective and obsession <laughs> with dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that that carries through Westworld as, as well. There's the child's, um, the child's draw to something, and then the the rot underneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that carries through a lot of his yeah. work. <laughs> well, just this time in the early '80s. Also, he was saying because he's having a a new baby, they're decorating the new room and he keeps buying all this dinosaur junk and his wife is like, you're disrupting the color scheme of the nursery <laughs> and he just can't help himself. And she's like, please stop buying all this dinosaur stuff. <laughs> and he's like, why am I so fascinated by this? And why is it so <laughs> such a preponderance for kids as well? Like, why why can I buy all this kid stuff that's dinosaur themed? It's so Mike, perplexing. Mike, you need to calm down. <laughs> Put the stuffed yeah. animal down. Yeah, and he can't help himself. So that also then ties into his fast, you know, follow your your bliss here. But he's like, I need to know more about this. So he goes into researching dinosaur behavior, paleontologists, and the, a couple of them. Jack Horner, is that familiar to you? I know you know everything about this. Lord, um, no. I, I, I Names are like okay. pennies to me. I'm <laughs> well, so he was, sorry. <laughs> he was the influence for Alan Grant. He is a real person. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then he, See, that, yeah. that piece, and then I'm like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he became the, a real advisor on the film in terms of dinosaur stuff. Of course, of course. But for our audience, he is Montana-based, found his first dinosaur bone at eight years old, discovered Myasaura in the 1970s, found the first eggs of any dinosaur in the Western Hemisphere, showing they built nests, cared for their young. Um, but we'll get to more on him later in a, in a different sense. The science, though, at the time, as he's looking at all this, a lot of interviews I saw with him in 93, people are like, this is scary. And it's like when he started thinking about this, this is a joke at this time, like no one would believe (laughs) this. He had to kind of wait until more science comes out and he's looking at studies from Berkeley and paleo DNA work from other play Charles Pellegrino he references like uh, more science has to come about in this 10 year period for it to feel over relevant. the course of the decade mm-hmm. it moves from so obscure yeah from cartoony to s- almost real enough to be scary yeah exactly <laughs> uh, that that's yeah. uh, that's an interesting shift in just a, in just a few years i mean decade it depends on which way you're looking at it but that's yeah. that's really not a long period of time for the public thinking to shift on something like that you know exactly the science community <laughs> <laughs> so he was biding his time still learning still learning one of the other people that he learned about that's part of the influence is the character ian malcolm the chaos theory guy, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, he's based on a real person, mm. Heinz Pagels, a physicist at Rockefeller University. And I don't think so much the what Jeff <laughs> Goldblum as himself brings to, it, right? brings to it, but he is known for explaining complex topics 
physics and chaos theory and all that in very simple terms, which definitely carries over to that character being the here's the layman but not stupid explanation for right. what, for all these bigger concepts. He wrote a book in eighty two called The Cosmic Code, which a lot of people say is like he brings he brings all the mathematician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff. <laughs> uh, whereas Goldblum uh, is is bringing the you know, will hit on your girlfriend yeah. vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All that, I don't, that was not. Well, the, what is kind of <laughs> eerie with him is Heinz never saw Jurassic Park. He died in 1988 in a mountain climbing mm. accident in Colorado. Oh man! But there's a bizarre section of the Cosmic Code where he talks about this dream that he had and he relates it to something else but it's about falling from this rocky mountain and losing his grip and whatnot and it's it's in a lot of people referenced it it, so i mean maybe that ties into sort of the surreal ian malcolm character i don't know you know but anyways that's a that's a real person who a lot of people think probably Oh, well, that's just that I genuinely did not know. That's very, very (laughs) cool. That's very eerie. And that really adds a lot to the character, no matter what you and I and I this is one property and we'll go on the more we go as as, especially for the first book. I like to think of it in very different ways because we we like to think of the film as such a immovable mountain. But I have, you know, reading the book, there's so many different ways to look at this. There's so much more behind these characters that don't make it to the screen. There's a different interpretation Mm -hmm. for them for the screen. I love seeing all of the inspiration that comes into creating the character before it really gets born out on the page yeah, first. Um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. This is really cool. And one of the things, so he sends it out to publishers. They hated it because the original book is very different from the version that we know that you could read because it was from a child's point of view. Ah, he was having okay. a baby at the time. Fascination on the kid's imagination. Yes, yes, a kid at the park as it runs amok, and kept rewriting. People still hate it. Trying to understand the criticism, and the unlock was somebody was like, "Oh, I want a story for me," meaning an adult perspective. Mm-hmm. So it only blew up when he and and got approval from publisher land when he made it more. We can't we can't go on the kid's perspective, which is interesting because keeping Spielberg in the loop now, he brings that parentage aesthetic. Right. I, that's I, what I never, comes back into it, yeah. into the movie. That's that's fascinating. That's I always attributed to Spielberg's influence given on his backstory. Right. But um, this is fascinating because I always thought that Michael Crichton's whole thing was raging against capitalism and corporatism run amok. And really, it is, yeah. Generally. <laughs> and it is, but what I'm hearing is so much more about it was about the dinosaurs. I mean, it has to be about <laughs> both. You can't make the dinosaurs. Right. You can't make this book without doing both hands of work but that it, it really this, this that this was a huge focus of it for him as as well not just the you know greed aspect of it. <laughs> right yeah there was the kid wonderfulness that people hated that's fascinating that's <laughs> that fascinating. the publishers hated from the, the perspective you know, the, yeah the parentage i always give the parentage you know question between grant and ellie uh, attributed to spielberg yeah. that's that's very very interesting to purport that maybe because Crichton was there and the entire way all the way through they're friends with spielberg so i'm i'm betting that that he's talking to spielberg and that's probably straight out of his <laughs> Straight out yeah, of yeah. his mouth, <laughs> yeah. Um, because had, they're yeah. they're trying to find a way to broaden the scope out for the for the screen because the book is very very curt about 
corporatism greed mm-hmm. and that might not work as well for what the screen can do which is give it to a huge audience uh ding 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 kids <laughs> well yeah because like you had said they were friends met in the 70s i forget whether it's in our west world or spielberg episode but spielberg gave him a tour of universal Crichton's only four years older than him but they were in their 20s and wow this was when spielberg was doing his first you know tv shoots with Joan Crawford, mm-hmm. who was the older mm-hmm. actress who gave him the nice note, and that's what encouraged him. Yeah. This is when Crichton meets him, and Spielberg is saying, you should direct, and that's when he did Westworld, and he's like, this was not the best <laughs> experience. So it all it all circles around. But yeah, that's why Spielberg got it first, even though every other production company wanted their person to do it. Universal got it with him before and the book I, was out in 90. I would give yeah. anything to see James Cameron's version I swear, man, <laughs> that he wanted it hard. He really, really wanted it. He was in the bidding war. And I'm thinking about, I'm reading the book and I'm thinking about other things that have gotten redone, used to different versions. I think that yeah. if I could have, if I could have anything, I would love to have a sci-fi channel version <laughs> of Jurassic Park. No, if I could reach into another dimension, I'd pull out James Cameron's Jurassic Park. Um, the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, man. I, <laughs> the bidding war for this is insane, but it's so obvious of why it goes to, to Spielberg. I mean, ultimately. They're, best. They're good friends. Like, why wouldn't you give it to the yeah. guy who yeah. got you into it? Yeah. So speaking of, alternate versions and whatnot. Crichton is on the script and then it gets completely rewritten by David Kep. But with Crichton's script, it's much more in line with the book. And the big thing, like you're talking about the book difference that probably accosts people when they figure it out is that Hammond is a jerk in the book <laughs> and in Crichton's <laughs> version. He's a mean-spirited, horrible Walt Disney character yeah, who, he's a grouch. You know, he in the in the in the and current ultimately movie, yeah. gets himself killed. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Spoiler alert for a book released thirty <laughs> years ago, but yeah, <laughs> that's this. And I want to take particular issue with this because if this is supposed to be a referendum on corporatism, greed, run amok, when we think about themes of today, I'm just I have to sit back and like wonder like, do all of the CEOs who are in power now did they finish the book? Did yeah. they even try to read the book or did they just see the movie and see that? Oh, he yeah, sacrificed and- himself for his love <laughs> yeah. for his kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I'm like, if you read the book, it's so obvious how wrong Hammond by, by, is by the end of it that I go like, wow, uh, you know, I don't know if Jeff Bezos has actually read Jurassic Park. Maybe this is a problem. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This is just a soapbox for me. <laughs> well, that like, like we had said, he had started with the idea of the kids, then didn't have it. Then when he rewrites the script, still doesn't have it. And then the notion of the kids and this more, I don't know, moralistic kind of thing gets put back into the original story with Spielberg and David Kep. But yeah, it's confusing then with the release and interesting with the marketing because it's PG-13 and it really confused people because all the merch is for kids and it's advertised <laughs> for kids. I love, I'll post a link to this this release day 93 news segment and they interview this nine-year-old kid and he's got (laughs) dinner plates for eyes and he's like it was a horror movie i was scared (laughs) really uh 
traumatizing. <laughs> oh man! As the kids oh wow! Up. Well, I like to think of it as a as a, a proto childhood slasher film. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I I think it is shot like a like a slasher film. It is the director of photography from Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm. I think it is something that primes probably kids to take their first step into the horror world into yeah. the monster sci-fi horror realm. That, that's what I miss in the more recent films, but uh, is the sense of danger. So yeah, yeah. that's, a, that's particularly <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to point out before we move on to too much bef- from the writers that yeah. one of uh, David Cope's real additions that really stands out from the book is uh, Mr. DNA. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, who gives basically all of the exposition of like how the park works and uh-huh. sums it up in this like capitalistic logo, like Mr. Paperclip mm-hmm. type person. Yeah. Um, that's all injected in on the uh, on the film side to kind of you know, shoot a line through all of the science stuff and right. all of the conversation <laughs> with the experts when they arrive at the island. This shows you what the, more of what the guests would experience. We'll give you a flyover of how this stuff works. They do a really great job with it, but it's just, it's one of those big elements that you don't realize is so big. And one of the big differences between, I think, what the focuses are between the, the mm-hmm. book and the film. The film is talking to parents. I mean, and the book is definitely talking to experts. <laughs> And yeah, Michael Crichton also, to make it clear, was for the movie. He's in all the press stuff. He loved it. He was he's he's one of those people that's like, yeah, let them do what they want with it. He wasn't like, well, you didn't say what I because they just it still does talk about corporate subterfuge and whatnot and the lack of. Well, I'll put it this way. If you it's you can talk about corporate greed run amok if you back out the lens a little bit for your family audience to uh, connect with that through responsibility and parenthood yeah that's what you're supposed to understand through the grant and ellie characters is we have responsibility for our creations we have responsibility for stepping into those waters choosing to step into those waters together do we that's what the entire movie is about is do these two people want to start a family together that is what the movie is about that is not at all what the book is about (laughs) no but that's how i think ultimately that's what i think spielberg brings is backs out that lens that scope a little bit so that you get that parenthood thing so you help you get to understand a little bit more of what john hammond is feeling about his parks and projects definitely so with spielberg and him being friends and the movie doing so well what do you mean it did okay (laughs) well it's just the highest grossing movie ever (laughs) when it came out yeah (laughs) just a cultural touchstone yeah also it is i saw still the highest grossing uh best box office for all the jurassic parks Adjusted for inflation, the first one still is on the top. I mean, who knows? We'll see with this new one. But yeah, with the original doing so well, of course, you know, sequel city, especially the 90s. And the question of book number two, that's kind of interesting. You know a little bit more about that. I think through the process of making Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton realized that the real voice of Jurassic Park is the Malcolm character mm-hmm. that he is the one really saying the this is not a good idea we were saying that's what Michael Crichton does but that is the character that's really there on in the scenes yeah. saying like this is not a good idea the movie comes out and it's so successful and he realized that he's killed off his voice <laughs> he's killed off the yeah. voice of Jurassic Park but he goes well it's all mine anyway it's my creation he brings him back from the dead. He's so invig- <laughs> in, in, uh, invigorated by this, the success 
that he wants to continue talking as Malcolm. He just brings him back. He says, oh, well, you know, you thought he was dead, but he he ended up surviving. He was it was so bad. You thought he just thought he was dead because he dies Um, in the book, just to clarify, but not the movie in the movie. No, he in the movie. It's kind of a shock that he that he ends up getting away, but he ends up just kind of like staying down for the count for the third act and being on the radio. Um, But in the book, he's dead (laughs) in the book. They go kind of go out of their way to say he's dead. And I think then in the second one, in the opening of the second one, they play it off as like they thought he was dead. (laughs) I just think it's baffling that the author is getting this energy from the film itself. It reminded me of our Star Wars episode talking about how the expanded universe kind of like kept the energy and the fan base Mm -hmm. alive long enough to actually pump out the prequels. But I think that this is a a really interesting notion that he brings back this character. I mean, really understanding his material is this. I can't do more of this without this character. Yeah. And that's what gets us the second book. And then subsequently the second film, which I, I assume are just made right on top of each other. They're almost made in tandem. Yeah. Because it was Spielberg's urging of him to say, Hey, you've got to do a second novel. And so they were working back and forth, but that's why especially the third acts and whatnot are vastly different from the novel to the movie. Uh, yeah, I'm still yeah. reading I am still reading Lost World, so I'm only about a third way into it. I have read the original, yeah. um, but I have not completed Lost World. I'm still going through it. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> then moving on to sort of how is this now a franchise, JP3, Crichton came on to help with the script in 98, and then left the mm. project, and that doesn't exist anywhere. Ooh. And, mm. you know, of course, then Spielberg also is not in it, and it becomes this other mm. thing that's not based on his book at all, not involving him and not involving Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And he says in 2002, after much asking, no, I'm not going to write another. There's no prequel. There's no sequel. <laughs> there's nothing else to this, except for there was a unfinished business after his death, and it became a posthumous mm. book called Dragon Teeth. It's it's dinosaur right, stuff. I forgot about this. Yeah, but it's 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 about the paleontology wars of the 1800s. So Whoa. it's it's nothing. It's almost like the historical science war of <laughs> of greed and and uh, subterfuge and all of that <laughs> stuff. Um, he's not trying to please anybody at that point. Yeah, one it's just he's based just on doing his notes. what he's interested yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. He's, he's finally like, I don't have to do anything. I don't, now I can just do what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of what he wants and his concerns with the whole thing, I saw in an interview that he did in '93, right when the film came out. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, "Are you worried about?" That? Like I said, we ha- it had become the thing of, "Oh, this could happen, right? How could you say this, Michael? You're opening <laughs> people's eyes to the craziness of genetic engineering and whatever." And he's like, "I'm not concerned about dinosaurs. This will not happen now, like <laughs> or any time." He's just like, "It's it's about the metaphor." And uh, that's what I am <laughs> worried about is people just using this say, thing. dude. Yeah. I am baffled at the, just look, and maybe I'm jumping the gun, but I'm baffled at the pinhole uh, point of view that this franchise has had. <laughs> because if I look at Engine, the company of like, yeah, real life, I just, I think there's way more than just dinosaurs, just dinosaurs. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe I'm <laughs> well, so even in this interview in 93, he, he goes on to like, conceptualize the metaphor and he's like yeah people will, might start making square tree trunks for better lumber or make trout paler so that you can find them for easier fishing he's like it's fooling mm-hmm. with those sorts of things that have no basis in nature and reality right. that are troubling to him and so 
Yeah, I mean, his last book next goes into gene patenting. This is, uh, you know, a year before his Whoa. untimely death. In real life, people own hepatitis C. Like you patent it, and so it's like, oh, oh I want to do this study on for homeless people, and it's like, no, you can't. Or this, it's a, it's more about <laughs> the legal implications of genetics and ownership and patents uh, and, was, and that kind of It was of obvious thing. Yeah. reading the book that, reading the original book that like, oh, if I was a CEO, this is definitely talking to me about like how to respond, who to listen to, what can happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm just baffled at the overall focused uh, nature that I think everybody has on the dinosaurs, the spectacle of seeing a dinosaur. I mean, I guess I'm just jaded because they grew up in a post-Jurassic Park <laughs> world, but I've because I've just been seeing dinosaurs my whole life. Look yeah. at me, privileged. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like there is so much more to be <laughs> derived here than worried about like, oh man, they might they might bring back a woolly mammoth. I'm like, no, 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 that you're missing the entire point. It's like, just because you can have something delivered to your door in two days does not mean that that is good or sustainable. <laughs> right. Yeah. What are the knockoffs? <laughs> That's effects? what I mean. Yeah. It's a metaphor. It's a replacement. And, and the same, you know, the, I, 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 yeah. I, 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 I can't get, I can't, I can't, Taylor. I won't. <laughs> well, let me jump to this crazy <laughs> TED talk that I found that was pre-internet because I didn't realize TED has been around since 1984 and they didn't start posting. What? They didn't start posting anything online until 2006. And Michael Crichton did a TED talk in 1992. So before even before the, it was cool. <laughs> the movie Look came him. and before Jurassic Park, the movie came wow. out. So it was oh like, my God. it was popular from the books and the movies that he had done. So where did you find this? It's on Ted's site, but it only has 4,000 views. So I'm like, what? who? What? So the breaking news from me, at least, you know, I don't oh know why God. nobody cares about this. I mean, it's horrible crackly audio and whatever, but I, I'm, I soldiered through it. Um, the first half of the talk is like, he's not anti-tech. He's like, I couldn't wait to get rid of a typewriter. He went to word processors in the late 70s. And he's right. like, it came it's with- It's not anti-progress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more that he's looking in the directions that other people are not. And so what was crazy- Or having yeah, some foresight that people refuse to. Yeah, yeah. Like, think about it a little more. <laughs> what was Just a little more. What was crazy with this TED Talk in 92, the big thing that he was talking about with this Hawaii trip that he went to and going to this resort, he was like, there will be a time when people will want to escape the pervasive tech phones. He's like, Einstein wouldn't have gotten anything done if he had been like, well, you have this meeting at this time and you're doing this here and who's calling me now? Which is crazy in 92 Dude, because we didn't even have oh smartphones. And he's already thinking because he's, he's describing and showing a slideshow of these two Hawaiian resorts. And one of them, which is like the most artificial artifice and is all facing inward. And you don't even care about the beach and has trams and a hodgepodge uh, of like cultural, uh, you know, it's got a tiki thing here and then an Egyptian lobby and then a Mesoamerican dude, stairwell. That's... He's right. Oh my God. Yeah. He's like, he retched right into the future. Yeah. That's, that's And so he's like, that is scary. There's this other Hawaiian resort and he's like, it's crazy how it costs more to get less. Like this other one, which is traditional huts. Like you, you don't have telephones in the rooms. There's no room service. You got to go walk to the next hut to tell your friend you're going to the beach. You pay a tremendous amount for this. And so he's like, I, I worry about the artifice and the multimedia setup of everything and how much unplugging will have extreme benefits to, and it's like, God, that's 
the biggest wow. conversation that we're having now is this is like the biggest th- like stressor in my life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael, my God, uh, and we've all uh, we've all said, oh, I'm going to get off social media, and what is it doing to our teens and suicide? You know, well, like it's, you know, God, God rest his soul. What would he be saying now? He yeah. would be, I, you know, like, I, I don't even <laughs> what we're I worried about. Like it all came to pass. Now. Yeah, no, I'm. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and it's so cool because I think it also. He says how how he thought about this is because he's been using the word processors in the computers and he's been tracking his writing ever since he started writing. And he looks at his little bar graph of how many pages he's been doing per day. And he knows that when he hits the plateaus, it's because he needs to get away. He needs to go to a hotel room. He needs to unplug. He needs to not have all of the trappings mm-hmm. of 1990 life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> however much that was. That we can have these VCRs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy that, but I'll, I'll post yeah. a link to the TED talk. Super interesting. Wow. Crazy that I'm one of 4,000 people that has watched this. But, and um, you thought you, <laughs> I'm to you do that. You thought you knew everything about Jurassic Park. Spot talking to me, talking to everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's finally go into the real life applications because of what he was worried about. Has come. Yeah, to can pass. we make yeah. a T Rex? Can we, let's make them. Let's make a T Rex. You know, it seems like a. You know, why not? You know, we. You know, the the the, the leashes are off. The collars are down. Yeah, yeah. Let's just. You know, let's find a company. Let's get a startup. Let's get a grant. Let's do it, baby. So here's what I could find on the current trend, and I am not a scientist, nor know anything about real science. So I will be presenting <laughs> the four year old version of what I understand this to be. Let's do it. We have cloned dogs, cats, monkeys, sheep, and a ferret on the endangered species list in 2021 from a D- from the DNA of a ferret that died in 1988, and they froze Whoa, okay. it or whatever. So it's like, oh, we have expired DNA. Pinky is back. Yeah, but they used a ferret <laughs> from, you know, th- th- these ferrets still exist, uh, so they could use the womb of a endangered ferret to propagate it further because that's the right so that's where the thinking is you could probably you perhaps could gestate a woolly mammoth in an elephant womb and so as far as the yeah the extinct stuff it's like the pyrenean ibex became extinct in 2000 and there was a successful cloned specimen obviously not through a pyrenean ibex womb but it died several minutes after birth but it was born but it had a bunch of complications so it hasn't successfully been done to any degree of an extinct animal coming through. Mm-hmm. So that's like, yeah, say you could get the DNA though. Like I said, you'd need a host animal or a bird in the case of a dinosaur, but it would be some hybrid thing with the thing <laughs> that you're you're coalescing it with even if you had the DNA. And then with the, you know, with the mother's development, the thing pops out and it's like the CO2 content is different from what the you know, the prehistoric. prehistoric record is the digestive <laughs> enzymes are different. The microbes, maybe it would just die immediately from, you know, not having the right vaccines. The pressure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it, it, yeah, it's too much oxygen, not enough oxygen, et cetera. So we think <laughs> living so easy. <sighs> yeah. Just la di da di da. No. <laughs> yeah. A raptor comes out of a chicken and just dies immediately. That's even if you could get the DNA, that's the thought. So the biggest thing that has happened in the past couple of years, there was a report that, and I'll post a link to it, but I didn't understand any of it, except for that they, <laughs> they say they found full intact strains of DNA in the cartilage of a 70 million year old fossil, which Whoa. basically everybody is skeptical about because 
DNA, they say, really lasts at max six million years and it would be really corrupted. So the fact that they're like, oh, we have this and it's perfect and we're working on it has huh. never, has, how, how can this be so preserved? Um, right. Which gets us to, you had mentioned the woolly mammoth business. So right. woolly mammoths are much more recent. They have DNA that's been extracted from as early as 4,000 years ago, a mammoth that was preserved in the ice. So that's pretty darn, I mean, that's much better that's than, pretty the, recent. than 6 yeah. million That's years. where I yeah. go and like, okay, in an elephant womb, I could see this being a reality. I'm to the point where I'm like, why haven't we done this yet? <laughs> right. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, it has to be the gene editing because it's not viable enough for cloning and elephants and mammoths share 99% of the same genes. It's only 1% that would be the mammoth that you're giving it. And so it's this company- Just spicy elephants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this com- the biggest company, Colossal Biosciences, which has the most backers and funding or whatever. And they say they're going to complete it in 2027. Ooh, um, Colossal. That's the one I sent yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll post yeah, it. Yeah, I'm now. like, I've been looking at this account on Instagram for months. And I'm just like, <laughs> is this a game? Is this like a, is this viral <laughs> marketing for a movie? What is this? And then it basically had me thinking, I'm like, man, the Jurassic franchise is so like, the, the point of view is so restricted. It's like, this is what Engine would be doing. <laughs> yeah. They would be trying to save endangered species. They would be trying to do things all over the world, trying to save animals where they can, be trying to charity to bring it all <laughs> You know, they're bringing back the woolly man. They're getting that low hanging fruit all over the place and putting that up front in everybody's face. Meanwhile, they're making raptors in the back. And you, just, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The, 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 uh, well, and maybe some of that too with Colossal, I had seen their plan is, wink, not, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, is not to use surrogates. So, for some of an ethical standpoint, Asian elephants are endangered. So, it's like the ferret thing. It's like, oh, you're going to compromise an Asian elephant, which is already endangered to do this mammoth project. It's like, Lord. So the big question is like Jurassic Park. It's a park for Jurassic animals. Where would you put these mammoths? <laughs> like what, what is your plan? <laughs> Poof, you get a mammoth. And this is the most bizarre thing that I had found. I hope you know nothing about it because it blew my mind. Please. Oh, no. Pleistocene Park. Um, no, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. The Pleistocene period is from 2.5 million to 12,000 years ago, what we call the Ice Age, you know, up to the large animal extinction. <laughs> This was started in 1988. Um, it is in Siberia. <laughs> it is a wildlife reserve with the goal of recreating subarctic ecosystems from the last glacial period. So they're saying we want to replace the mossy and forested tundra and taiga with grasslands that existed. Oh my God. And so their aim is like, to do with global warming. The earth was a lot colder then. The the thought is kind of like you said, maybe it's this cloak and dagger thing, but their stated intent <laughs> is that we will make this environment the way it was and then that will help the climate crisis. Oh my God, this is crazy. So that's their, that's their supposition is that the animals rather than the climate maintained this ecosystem and the overhunting led to the extinction and there's less grazing and it became the taiga and the tundra. I just want to substantiate yeah. that that uh, the Michael Crichton knew about this. I want. I don't know how, but I, <laughs> I want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are they are reintroducing large herbivores to Siberia in this land. It is 160 square kilometers or 60 square miles at the moment, and they've introduced all sorts of animals that haven't been there: uh, Yakushian horses, what? moose, reindeer, musk oxen, plains bison from the U.S., Bactrian camels, the fuzzy camels. Just kidnap them. 
Yeah. <laughs> Put them in there and they're flourishing. <laughs> By God, they're flourishing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says in the second one. Yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> they're also artificially creating mammoth-esque conditions by crushing shrubs and using these big like tank things to like what? kind of promote as if there were mammoth herds roaming around. What? This is the biggest thing that is ongoing. And then they're going to collab with Colossal when their mammoth comes out in 2027. Yes. Yeah. And plop them in the High five. park. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't. I mean, the number of. Pleistocene uh, doesn't quite have the ring. No. <laughs> but it's got the alliteration. Yeah. So. <laughs> it has the park. Hey, uh, they should have been copyrighted. <laughs> nah. But I just couldn't. I'm, I, it's, it, it exists. And it's been existing for. This uh, is incredible. For decades. Yeah. And you had mentioned there was another effort uh, with our friend Jack. Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> that, he's uh... coming back into the mix. So he was the real life Alan Grant guy and doesn't see any problems with genetic modification. He came he's for it. Yeah. He wants to see it, baby. He loves it. There's a He wrote a 2009 <laughs> book called How to Build a Dinosaur, subtitle Extinction Doesn't Have to Be Forever. And wow. uh, his plan is about nudging chicken DNA to become dinosaur DNA, not finding one and cloning it or splicing it or any of that kind of stuff. So there's there are these things mm. called atavistic genes. And again, fourth grade definition, ancestrally programmed genes. So it's kind of, it manifests like there are some snakes that have nubs and children with extra lower vertebrae that resemble tails and gotcha. whatnot. It's like these genes are programmed in, they're just not being manifest. So Right. Crazy. This idea came as he was consulting on an early script for the first Jurassic World. He said, yeah. what I want is <laughs> I want to make wow. it happen. Lord. And the thing that he's working on is ceremoniously called Chickenosaurus. And he's partnering with geneticists. <laughs> and interestingly, with the movie connection, George Lucas had funded most of the costs for his interests Whoa. and research. Mm. But another independent group in 2015 found in some grotesque way, turn the beaks of chicken embryos into more dinosaur-like snouts. Oh God, this is terrible. And there are, yeah, there are, <laughs> there are leg and foot analogs that, you know, the full length tibula that reaches to the ankle, which is more reptilian oh. than, <laughs> or dinosaur, you know, oh, whatever. What, so anyways, what yeah. if I gave myself this reptile leg? <laughs> and what if I, and, oh no, yeah. Jack, stop, Jack, no. So it is crazy, yeah, <laughs> that it does still connect back to the movie stuff that the guy that Michael Crichton based and then f is involved in he's making still the movies. Involved. He's taking the, I the the idea into the real world, along with George Lucas. Yeah, not like yeah. Alan Grant, who's hor kind of horrified and being like, this is dangerous. So he's like, this is sick. Yeah. Well, and a big part of it, too, I think, is related to like presenting it to kids and being like, isn't this fun, Chickenosaurus? He's not taking it with this. <laughs> he's like almost the same, yeah, like kids perspective kind of thing, I feel Lord. like. Yeah. Oh, well, that brings us... To the new ones, yeah. which is like, you know, there's now been three more movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and man, they are a different thing. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't know. I was struck. And I guess now is time. I'll, I'll reveal myself to the audience, <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> um, I, I was spent time all weekend this past weekend at a huge Jurassic event in tandem with Mattel and uh, Walmart because I own a Jurassic Park Jeep. Uh -huh. And it was on display at this big kids event in Burbank uh, where they had all sorts of kid games and a giant life-size blow up uh, T-Rex. They had one of the, we had one of the explorers there and it was a big thing to generate, you know, buzz for the movie coming out this week. And it was a big kid uh, centered yeah. event. And so for two days, Saturday and Sunday, I 
I watched kids run around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids take pictures with my Jeep and, you know, yeah. go, you know, dig sand and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's something struck me that I was thinking about the new movie coming out. What is it going to be like? I'm probably going to hate it. Will Michael Crichton Watching these, yeah, roll over in exactly, his grave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's where I was. I was this all cynical, crim, Mr. Crimogen, just like Michael Crichton would just be like, yeah, roll exactly what you said. <laughs> I'm watching these kids and I kind of, it struck me that if not for these Jurassic films, I don't know what would replace them. The Jurassic movies have such a stranglehold on what is, you know, dinosaur really content. Um, they have solidified dinosaur <laughs> designs that are strictly theirs, yeah. that they own outright, that have no place in real like science. Uh, but we think that that's what the Dilophosaurus looks like. Um, they're so big. That for them to really be done and over and for them to even have not made these last three movies the last uh, the last eight years. Yeah. I ultimately I am glad that kids have a dinosaur movie to go to the theaters to go see this weekend. I had that. Uh, there's a place for that. Uh, and I'm glad that that is still happening. So with that frame of mind, yeah. I'm going to go see the new one this weekend <laughs> and try to see it with that kid mentality. You know, maybe we're doing that a little bit too much with some properties these days. But hey, Top Gun was such a raving success. <laughs> I maybe I can step a little bit and, and you know get more in touch with my inner child, let go yeah, of curmudgeon, yeah. Michael. You know, let go of Michael Crichton. You know, <laughs> corporate greed uh, and so, all that. Yeah, yeah. So that well, we'll see. I hear that that's a. I hear that's coming back, baby. I hear that like <laughs> it gets sci-fi and weird, and the corporatism, the drama between companies is coming. I'm, sure. I'm no spoilers. I don't know, but I hear that's part of it. I'm excited for that stuff. I'm the least excited to follow up any storylines from really the other two movies. Right. <laughs> to be quite honest, I'm yeah. more about like Biosyn and all that stuff. So we'll see. But that is all what I wanted to offer to you guys is that these movies, I think, ultimately, when, if they're not what you're looking for, if they're not what you liked in the other movies. Ultimately, you know, my next door neighbor kid couldn't be more excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, I'm I am excited for him, man. That's what that's that's me. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. We at Illiterate are we're pro dinosaur, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. If you want to go take a look at my Jeep on Instagram, it's at TJJP18. There'll um, be a link to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Evan's out in oh, the man. Jurassic Park scene. He's all about it. I, <laughs> I definitely am. And, and I'm revealing myself here and now. Um, but yeah. So, uh, you know, have yourself a Jurassic weekend. Stay safe out there. Uh, thank you, Taylor. Yeah, thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you guys for sticking with us uh, all the way to the end of the episode. Uh, give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Uh, send an episode that makes you think of somebody to that person. Uh, and get in touch with us. Yeah, at IlliteratePod on Instagram or IlliteratePod at gmail.com. We love any sort of message from, from you guys. Let us know what you think, what you'd want to hear more of. And uh, as Evan said, stay safe. Thanks again. And we will catch you next week. Yeah.